0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Ludi. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's a beautiful morning in Windsor, Colorado. Let's just start with prayer and uh, set this time in God's hands. Father, it's for your glory and honor and praise. Lord, we just submit this entire day to you, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us in it. Lord, I pray that even the message today would just uh, rise to the surface of our soul and speak clearly to us. May we just understand and comprehend at a deeper level. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Amen. So I find myself in a little miniature special series uh, right now. Uh, I think my official title was "Standing for Purity," and so we've we've had. For those of you that have uh, are on campus right now, you know that we did the filming for the uh, fall purity summit that will be released throughout the fall. We did that on Sunday, and but Sunday mornings. Daily Thunder was like a special edition, and Leslie joined me in that, and that was a really neat one. So if you missed that, it's, I think it's called 25 Years. And then uh, on Monday, I talked about uh, the topic, and I mean, it's, it is one of my favorite topics. It is a, it is one that I've dealt with for years, but I haven't spent a lot of time in the past, even decade, addressing it at the level that I have been over the past couple months. Uh, so... Uh, This is another very unique uh, message on the topic of different things that in the Purity Summit we didn't have time to go into, and so we're going to dig a little. They're short little nuggets, short little thoughts, but uh, the idea is sacred waiting. When you start dealing with the issues of sexuality, deal with the issues of the human soul, just Christianity in general, the idea of waiting becomes very, very significant and paramount, and it touches us in that one center spot where there's a tug and a pull between flesh and spirit or between our old life and our new life in Christ. And it's a, it's a dead giveaway of who's in control of our life. If we're in control of our life, waiting is extremely difficult. We grumble and we argue, we complain the entire time. It's sort of like the wilderness Israelites who were murmuring, complaining, they didn't want to wait. They wanted it now. And we're very similar where what's interesting is murmuring, complaining, arguing, grumbling, all that, leaves you in the wilderness. That's the extra interesting nuance and touch to the idea is this actually harms you and it doesn't help you. So murmuring and complaining is actually the counter to what God desires to do inside of us. And so this idea of waiting is very, very important. The illustration in Scripture is a farmer. So a farmer has a job to do and... It isn't to just sit there and stare at his land and say, well, I really hope that a crop comes. But a farmer has something that he is assigned to. And he is trained as a farmer. And there's a very active dimension to his, quote-unquote, waiting. So what does he do? Well, he knows that a certain season he needs to diligently apply himself. Isn't that funny? Because I just said waiting, and then I said diligently apply himself. To what? To prepare the, the ground. And so he tills the ground, and then he needs to plant seed in the ground. And then he needs to care for that turf, even though there's no sign of life in it. He needs to water it. He needs to weed it. And, of course, in modern farming, there's all sorts of treatments and fertilizers, depending on your view of if that's good or not. But there's all sorts of things that a farmer is actively doing. And then in the process of continuing to do that, he can't bring the crop forth. He can't make it grow but he has a job to do in the meantime. And that's what I call sacred waiting. This is exactly what goes on in our soul. There's certain things that have to be left up to the Holy Spirit to do, but we can get impatient. Could you imagine staring over your crop that you, you planted and you're like, come on, come on, seed. And then you get so frustrated with your seed, you dig up the seed and look at it and yell at it a little. It's actually not gonna grow that way. You have to be patient with the seed. So You have to do what you're supposed to do and then you need to let it do its part. You need to let the Holy Spirit actually bring forth life. And so most of us probably aren't farmers, but we can relate to the idea of what I'm calling sacred waiting. It's just different than just waiting for a bus uh, on the street corner. There's similarities to it, but sacred waiting involves sacred things. So there's certain dimensions in our life that the Holy Spirit says, I need this. I would like to have that area of your life. You're like, whoa, <laughs> that's always been under my control. And so he begins to touch these things, and that's why I call it sacred, because sacred means to set something apart. It is God's territory. And so all of our life, when we're living in Adam, we look at it as ours. It's like, my life is mine, my time is mine, my resources are mine, uh, my future is mine, my future marriage is mine. All these things become ours. So what happens when sacred, the sacred dimension begins to overtake us, when the Holy Spirit begins to overcome our life, then he begins to touch on different spots in our life that we still are under the presumption are ours. Even though we know doctrinally they belong to God, all things are God. I mean, yeah, sure, I've bought with a price. My body is not my own. Yeah, yeah, I got that. But we actually have to walk through a process of God singling out. It's almost like, ding, it turns green in our life. Like whoa, 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 God, what are you looking at that for? And he touches it and he says, I'd like this. And those are unique wrestling matches for us every time one goes ding and turns on. And so there are different ones that we walk through, but this is not something that we just go through in our first few months of Christianity. It actually progresses through our Christian life where there'll be things in our life that we are not readily thinking, oh, God should have that. And then suddenly he'll just go ding and be like, oh, you're, you actually want this too? He it goes, it goes through a thorough process of staking claim to every aspect of our life so that we go from having our grip on it to saying, okay, God, this is yours, and we let it go, and we give it to him, and as we do that, we see that that area of our life begins to prosper. It begins to turn and bear fruit of the Holy Spirit, whereas when it's in our care, it doesn't bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's like we get frustrated. Why, why is this thing not working? But then when we give it to God, it's like, oh, Okay, I see how this works. So I'm calling that sacred waiting. This is a motto I've had in my life. I mean, we could go back probably 25 years and you would have heard me give this exact quote that I'm giving to you right now. And this is something God taught me in the very, very beginning before or when I was entering that relationship with Leslie, which is around 28 years ago. We've been married 25 years in December. But it's somewhere back in that time where God was doing a deep work of teaching me the idea of waiting. that, that Isaiah 40 scripture of those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. I need, what, what is this? I want to rise up with wings as eagles. I want to run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. Okay, what is that? I want to learn to wait upon the Lord. What does that look like practically? And so here's the here's statement. The world is always in a hurry. We live in a world that is always behind schedule, that is always needing to get something done. And it's very easy For this to touch us, I don't know if you've been touched by it, (laughs) but it is just very uh, easy to get into the world's pace. But listen to this I'm gonna give you a contrasting statement God teaches patience. Isn't that an irony? You see, even when it comes to a lost and dying world, you know that we oftentimes get, we start hyperventilating. It's like people are dying and going to hell, and I need to get to them right now, which is a wonderful movement of grace in our life. But what's interesting is then, our presumption is that God just wants us to go and do. He wants us to go and, and just start doing stuff, stand on a street corner, and start yelling. The first thing that God wants is us. He goes, how are you doing there? Like, God, I just feel burdened. Good, good. What are you gonna do with that burden? I don't know, but I need to do something. How about you give it to me? Here, here, come over here. God, God, we have work to do. We need to get this done. I know. I wanna teach you how to get it done. You see, if you get it done in your frenzy, in your own self-effort, in your own energy, in your own willpower, you're not getting anything done. But when you give it to him, remember Martha and Mary, you have the contrast right there. It's like Jesus is coming over for dinner. And Jesus is coming over for dinner. Whoa, we need to get the house clean. I mean, if you imagine just someone, you find out that someone's going to visit your dorm room right now, okay? It's because we have a lot of students in here for those that are, that are streaming this. So imagine that we find out that uh, Donald Trump is coming in and he wants to see a sample dorm room at Ellerslie and it's yours. (laughs) So you're trying to focus while you're listening to me. Meanwhile, you're thinking about what your room looks like and you're thinking, oh no, I needed, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And so when you have the Mary and Martha dilemma, it's actually very easy to understand Martha. The king of kings is coming over to your house for dinner and what were we trained by all our parents is to be hospitable and to take good care of those that come into our house. So she's bustling about, stressed out, over getting everything prepared and what's Mary doing? Excuse me, Mary, what are you doing in there? We have a job to do, but Mary, according to Jesus, is choosing the better part. What she is doing is actually more in alignment with what God desires which is an interesting reset button for us because what Martha's doing actually matches what we would think we should do. We should get things done. We should have the house look perfect. We should, I mean, this is how we, and God says, hey, there's a higher priority. Just make sure you have that higher priority and we'll still get things done. I don't think God's against setting tables. I don't think he's against uh, cooking a nice meatloaf. I don't think he's against, I don't know why I'm bringing up meatloaf. That's like the second time in, the, in a couple of Daily Thunders I've had meatloaf. So he's not against us having an orderly house. He's not against us doing things well. What he is interested is something first and primary. He's like, hey, where are you at? Come here. You focus on me, I'll give you your assignment. Just sit and wait at my feet. And then we're like, okay, how do you do that, God? He's like, "Just, just be still and know that I am God, that I am in control, that it is my timing that matters. You know how hard that is? got work to do. you got things to get done. And if you're anything like me, you're a getter-done person. In other words, I create my checklist, and then I get satisfaction by going, check, 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 check. And then I even look at my list, and I go, I got it all done. And you feel good. You feel satisfied as opposed to just sitting at God's feet and waiting. I mean, excuse me, but I'm not getting anything done in that at first you don't realize that you're getting something done. But it's sort of like sticking bread into an oven. You work, you work, you get all, you know, you knead everything together, you you stick it in the oven, and you could say, I'm not getting anything done while it's baking. Well, but the baking is a big part, and that's like waiting. Waiting's like baking. In other words, at first you don't feel like you're getting anything done when you're waiting, but it's a critical dimension to the final product, The waiting is part of God's recipe. It's part of how God brings about his full product. When I mention the word holiness, that's the picture for those of you that aren't here live or streaming this, I have a, a slide on the screen that says holiness. It's just such a somber, serious word, isn't it? It's like holiness. And of course, we know that God is holy, holy, holy. It's a wonderful attribute of God. However, it's gotten a bad rap in our day and age. And when you start talking about holiness in regards to relational uh, sexuality and romance, it's like it seems to be the, it takes all the air out of uh, the balloon. It's like holiness. Boy, we don't want that mixed in. You do want that mixed in. But what you need is God's rendition of holiness and not the devil's. The devil has a whole rendition of holiness. It's like thou shalt not, you should. It's a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of burdens that we actually have been set free to function under a higher law called love. And so as a result, when the devil gets a hold of this, he, he deranges it, okay? He wants to disturb what God, what God by his Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. So I want to give you at least, this isn't a teaching on holiness, as much as recognizing that sacred waiting is the work of holiness, okay? So you have the Holy Spirit that enters inside. And what is he doing? He's actually working holiness into us. But our idea of what that is, is weird. What we think is clean, you know, orderly. Yes, I'm standing straight. Yes, there's no wrinkle in my garment. That's, That's actually not necessarily what holiness is. Holiness is God capturing you. God taking the different dimensions of your life and reflecting his beauty through it. And because we're holding on to these areas of our life, they're not showing beauty. So he goes, could I have that? And I'd like to do, and we're like, what are you doing with it, God? Just, let, just trust me, just tr- hey, be still, be still. Whoa, how'd you do that, God? Well, I'm God. I know what I'm doing. I know why I created that in you. So like, whoa, when he touches our thought life, it changes it, it causes a soundness of mind, it causes a clearness, it causes better judgment and wisdom. Well, by the way, these are good results as opposed to confusion, cloudiness, anxiety, fear, You see, let him touch it. Let him have your thought life. Let him make it holy. Let him touch your emotions. You know, instead of all the consternation and the frustrations and all this, he touches. He says, let me have this. You're like, well, God, wait, wait, wait. What would you do? Well, I just set it right. I just made it function the way it's supposed to. You see, the way we are in our first state is wrong. It's unholy. But when God touches us and he grabs these different dimensions of our life, what does he do? He makes them function as they ought to function, which is like him. He's holy. And so as a result, we are being made holy. That doesn't mean being made somber and miserable. That means being made like him. He's full of joy and love. This isn't a bad thing. So holiness, I'm going to give you some different expressions of holiness. So practical holiness... I'm going to call it otherliness, because the idea of holiness is it's other than. And so the way he begins to touch our lives is he begins to train us in how to live which is other than the world. So the world does this, but I want to teach you my way. You know, the world thinks this, but I want you to fix your gaze on this, and I want you to think on these things. Oh, the world handles its resources this way, its money this way, but I want you to do it this way. So this is what I would call practical holiness. Practical holiness. where God actually takes the practical dimensions of our life, our sleep, our finances, our relationships, and he begins to change the way we do them. Not to make us miserable, because the word holiness is associated with, but to make it like him, to reflect his glory. Okay, so attitudinal holiness. Now, what's funny is a lot of people, when they think of attitudinal, that's a funny word, attitudinal, uh but at, it's your attitude okay so how does holiness affect your attitude a lot of people think oh that means you're you're arrogant and proud and holier than thou i am clean and perfect and you're not i'm holy no 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 that has nothing to do with what god does inside of us nothing not even remotely close to how god changes us via his holy spirit so what is he going to do when he touches us what is our attitude we let go we say god I know you need to have this area of my life. I remember I had a sort of a skirmish with God when he first began to come into my life and touch things. And part of it was the control center of my life. It's like, well, 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 we're God. what God, what are we doing here? I, what, what would happen if you took that? I, I'm not sure if I wanna give that to you. He started touching like my identity and how I looked, my deep voice that I would, my cool voice is a better way of saying it. How you doing? You know the way you stand where you have your hip your, your hip sort of cocked you know as opposed to standing all doofishly like this right it's like hey Eric would you just sort of stand normal as opposed to try to be cool it's like oh my god I, I mean that's part of what you need to do in this world I mean you, you're up in heaven but down here there's a need to you know cock the hip that's just part of what you need to do. And God has to touch these different areas to say, Eric, could you, could you let me have your hip there? Could you let me have that? Oh my God, what are you gonna to do to my hip? Uh, and he needs to touch these different areas of our life. They're, at first, they're just totally bizarre because like, why does he care about this? But because he's trying to change what we call an attitude. It's part of what we are giving off where we begin to understand humility. We begin to have Selfless love for others. We begin to consider others because when you're living with the attitude of the world, someone weak that smells and is dirty, you shy away from them. You don't want to be associated with that. But God changes your attitude. He gives you your His eyes, and you just give up your reputation. You give up your identity. All these things, and suddenly you can hang out with that person, and you don't care if everyone's looking at you like, are they together? Do they is it, do they like hang out together? Are they friends? Sure, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I love this person, but they smell. Yeah, Jesus loves them. I love them. What's the problem? In other words, you're not captured in the world's mentality. You're set apart in your attitude. It doesn't mean you're holier than thou. You're just given. You're given to God and you're not given to the world. You're not given to the world's demands. You're given to God and what his purposes are and the different areas that he touches. You just say, yes, Lord. Sexual holiness, so when holiness begins to touch our sexuality, which I described, I want to say somewhere along over the weekend, sexual, meaning the manliness of a man and the femininity of a woman, when he begins to touch these dimensions of who we are, then what does it lead to? What does it look like? Well, it's patience, because we have longings, we have desires. This is how God made us, but then he needs to touch them and say, could I have that? But God, this is like very important to me. I know, it's important to me too. And if you really want to discover my best, you you need to hand it to me. And so that is God's Holy Spirit beginning to touch these areas of our life. And of course, that's sort of what we're talking about. We start bringing up purity. Purity goes far beyond relational purity, but that's where everyone defaults today. And that's where the attack is in the church right now, so that's why I'm addressing it. I really like this scripture in Ecclesiastes and just think about what it says in light of what we're talking about. He has made everything beautiful in his time. What's the key thing that is standing out to us today? In his time. So he has a time. He has a way. And we're like, God, I'd like you to make it beautiful now. In my time, I will. But we have to rest that his timing is perfect. And that's part of the challenge. We need to recognize that he knows what he's doing. He's better than us at living life. And so as a result, we relinquish control into his control, and that's what holiness is. That's how we begin to resemble the holy God is by letting go and yielding. So in his time, welcome to the grand adventure of Christianity. Right there, those three words are a good summation of the tension the struggle, the challenge of the faith walk. It's in his time, not yours. Everything is in his time. And he makes all things beautiful. He does. He's really good at it in his time. So the timing of God. The timing of God is like a, we're gonna, I'm gonna use the word choreography here. That, you know, we had the His Little Feet concert on Monday night. We haven't debriefed that. That's, that's just amazing, isn't it? To see those precious kids. I mean, just, I mean, the purity, the beauty, uh, the loveliness of that. But that's, there's, there's something happening on stage, and it's a choreography. Those kids are learning their movements. And you can tell when a movement is slightly out of rhythm, right? Well, how do you know? Well, because we all have a rhythm inside of us, we know. And the Spirit of God wants to bring us into His rhythm, His timing, His pace. The world has a pace, and we are exiting the world's pace and entering into God's pace. How are you going to learn God's pace? Not by trusting your pace, but by learning to submit and look at him and say, God, what's the movement now? He says, be still. But God, I, I really feel I want to move right now. I know you do, Eric, but your timing and your desires are not what are going to bring out my beauty. So I want you to rest right now. I just want you to be still. God, what does that look like? How do I be still? Isn't that funny? How do you be still? It's, it, it's one of the funniest questions because we all know what stillness looks like, but we don't know how to be it. It's like, well, okay, well, stillness would mean stillness. Why is that so hard? Because it's different than our timing. And so God wants to calibrate us and move us in agreement with his Holy Spirit. And when you learn to function in agreement in the movement of the Holy Spirit, Well, guess what? Things become beautiful. All things become beautiful. Your thought life, your emotions, the practical side of your life, your relationships. You're in stride with him. Don't speak right now, Eric. Speak right now, Eric. In other words, you're in stride with him as opposed to your own working. So I have the timing of God, learning to follow instead of jump ahead. Do you remember Ishmael? That's a jump ahead. Abraham had to learn to follow, and heed. That's why the second is a picture of waiting, of patience, and of the fulfillment of promise. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Ishmael is not all things beautiful. is the wild donkey of a man, right? So what we have is this parallel all throughout Scripture, first and second. It's the second that God esteems. It's the one who remains, rests. It's the one who heeds and follows. So the second line I have is learning to wait instead of leap forward. That is a significant dimension. When we talk about relationships with the opposite sex, I mean, I'm giving you guys a chunk of gold here. You learn this, you'll be great. It's it's practical, it's spiritual, it's sexual holiness. This is how it works. You have to say it's not by impulse that I move, it's not by what I crave, it's by what the Holy Spirit leads. And when you follow that, here's what's amazing. It is spectacularly beautiful. But it goes against the grain of how you're working and how the world around you tells you to function. They say, crave it, do it. And God says, you do that, you die. We're like, I don't care, God. I want it on my terms, all right? You're choosing death. You're choosing erosion. You're choosing destruction. But if you will humble yourself and submit to his way and be restrained by his Holy Spirit, He makes all things beautiful in his time. But we have to submit to him, his rulership, his command, his direction, his choreography. All right, Eric, stand up, move forward, speak, silence. To the left, to the left, to the right, forward. Okay, God, this is hard. It's hard at first. It's like learning to drive. Any of you have ever learned to drive? When you first start driving, you have a panic that you'll be the one person on Earth that will never learn how to drive. Because it's gonna be somehow too hard for you. Okay, especially if you have like, uh, I call it a stick shift. What's the other term for that? Standard, yeah, whoever came up with that term. Because I'll always say stick shift. No, it's actually officially a standard. It's like, well, what? I grew up with it being a stick shift. So, But when you're doing a stick shift and you have the, uh, the clutch and you're like l- lurching forward, you're like, oh. And especially, have you ever seen someone go through an intersection? That, it's like, oh, God, I don't want to be that guy. But when you first learn any of these things, they can be very difficult. Have you ever had a new job and you get behind the cash register? And you've always like, been the guy that's been ordering, and you have someone going, I'm so sorry, I'm new. Uh, and they're you know, hunting and pecking for things, and then the manager has to come in, and they go, can I help you? And like, I can't find the button for smoothie. And then they, it's, like, it's over here, uh, and they're like, oh, so sorry. You're like, oh, that's all right, that's all right. But then you're thinking, I don't wanna be that person. I don't wanna be the guy that's trying to figure it out, that's hunting and pecking, right? We all start that way in our Christian life, especially when it comes to heeding the Holy Spirit. We're like, I've never done this before. He knows that. He knows that, and he just sort of hovers over our shoulder, and goes, okay, well, we could do it better the next time. But you begin to become acquainted and what we could call acclimated with the kingdom of heaven, and it becomes natural. To me, I don't spend time thinking about following the Holy Spirit. It's just my life. This is what I do, and so it's almost like someone has to say, "What are you doing right now, Eric?" I'm like, "I have to think of it, break it down into its parts." Like, okay, what I'm doing is I'm praying internally. I'm looking upward to heaven. I'm saying, "God, what's what's your thought for this?" I mean, there's a very specific way that I'll lead, and I'm always listening. I mean, there, there's a certain disposition. You could say, "Well, how did you learn to do that?" I don't know. I hunted and pecked for a long time in my life to sort of like, "God, how does this work? How do I actually heed you? How do I learn the choreography?" of heavenly leadership, and that's all part of what just begins to come out. The same is true in sexuality. Acts 16. So here's Paul, and he is mobilized to share the gospel with nations, and we have this guy who is carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet I want you to see the choreography here. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. What? Why would the Holy Spirit forbid anyone to preach the gospel? Why would he have you wait instead of go out and head to China right now? Why would he have you here? I mean, there's, de- there's people in China that need the gospel. Everything has purpose. He makes all things beautiful in his time, but Paul is learning to heed the Holy Spirit. Even a ministry is led of God. What they're desiring to do is good. What Martha was desiring to do was good, guys, when she was bustling about in the kitchen. She wants to serve Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. However, there's something better. And in each situation, what the Holy Spirit wants to lift out is that which is the better option. And so just because it sounds good, it sounds spiritual, doesn't mean it's God. And as a result, we always are ready for the Holy Spirit to say, nope, not over here, over here. Oh, okay. And at first, it might even be like, you don't want us to preach the word in Asia? That's weird, God. Why, why is that? You trust him at every turn. There'll be different things in your life where you won't understand at the moment, and they might unveil to you, or God might wait till eternity. I can't tell you when, you're, when you'll know, but a lot of times, it's even in this life where you'll see the brilliance of God unveil. And you're like, that is, that is amazing, God, that you steered me that way. After that, they came to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. You've, you see it there? This is choreography. Guys, this is how we move forward even in our sexuality. We're like, God, that, that's uh, maybe the only Christian I have ever seen of the opposite sex that believes this. I must marry them. You know, this is how we oftentimes can think. In this world of sparseness, <laughs> of the grandeur of masculinity, the grandeur of femininity, when you see one example, it's like, must marry. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit may forbid you from pursuing that. And you can, God, this would be good. It doesn't mean it wouldn't be good. It just might not be God's best. In other words, God knows what he's doing in your life. Do you trust him? And so at every turn, we have these unique tensions and they're good for us. So George Matheson uh, actually brings up Bithynia in this unique quote. Bithynia is what they were prohibited from doing. The Spirit of God led them instead to Macedonia. The Spirit has not only a service of work, but a service of waiting. So think about that. We think that the Holy Spirit has given us a job description to go work. Yes, he But he's also given us a job description to Wait. And that doesn't match our grid because it's not included in our understanding. We understand working. We don't understand waiting. But like I said, in baking, you have the preparation or the working of kneading and and doing all that with the dough, and then you have the baking. You have both. You could say the work and the waiting. And both are important to bring out that final product. And the same is true for us. And oftentimes it's inverted. We have the waiting, then the working. God says, whoa, before you go out there, Paul, I want you to go to uh, you know, the wilderness for a few years. And I, that's what you need. It's like, Paul's ready to go. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he's been, had this revelation of the Holy Spirit. He knows that Jesus is the risen one. He saw him with his own eyes when he was knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus. It's like, hey, God, let me go. Nope. I need you over here for a season. And what was prepared? Paul the Apostle. The apostle that we know was prepared in the backside of the wilderness. You see, that's actually important for all of us, is we don't see the value in it because the world is always ready to do, get it done. And God says, I'm gonna get it done, but I'm gonna get it done my way. And when Paul then is released to do his work, it's very effective. Oh, I didn't even finish the the quote. The Spirit is not only a service of work but a service of waiting. I came to see that in the kingdom of Christ there are not only times for action but times in which to forbear acting or to not act. I have been taught to thank the blessed Spirit that many a darling Bithynia had to be left unvisited by me. In other words, that's the place he was like, I need to go to Bithynia. Let's go to, nope, the Holy Spirit says, nope, you're going to Macedonia. And there's many darling Bithynias out there that are not to be visited by us. Our job is to do what God has assigned us. Not to save the world, that's his job. Our job is to do what he's assigned us. By the way, you're not gonna marry everyone, you're gonna marry one. And that's if you do get married. In other words, so you're heeding God's direction to find that Macedonia in your life. But there could be a Bithynia sitting there, it's like woo, wowzer. And that God says no. I want you going over here. And that's where holiness comes in. It's the governance of the Holy Spirit to keep our gaze on him. No, no. There's nothing wrong. I remember this poor guy. I was at, speaking at uh, this one ministry uh, and would go there every summer. And he was just this young guy in his early 20s. And he was just a great young man. I mean, just classic. He was attractive guy. He was strong. But he was humble and gentle He was a a great young guy, right? And these girls that would come to this ministry had never once seen a guy like this. And he was young, right? And so there was all this problems every semester with girls tripping over this guy emotionally. And this this one girl actually wrote him a letter. He sat down with me. He was in a crisis point. He's like, what am I supposed to do? He lays out the letter before me. And it said, uh, you know, you should seek forgiveness for misleading all these girls and all of us having emotions towards you. And he's like, all I'm trying to do is live for Jesus. He's like, well, <laughs> the girl is also responsible for holding her heart and for being led of the Holy Spirit too. So I don't want you to diminish your strong masculinity <laughs> because the girls around you are struggling here. It's a very interesting tension, right? So I just don't want you to be the girl in that story, right? Uh, when you finally see the guy, uh, and uh, which is a wonderful thing. There's nothing quite like a guy who's living it and who's, acting out the Christian life. But for all of us, we need to be governed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what sets the church apart from the world. So relinquishment points. These are just ones I dealt with, okay? Now, you may deal with different ones. And I don't know if it's different guy, girl, you know, it's like girls have different ones than guys. I'm just giving you a short list, okay? My desire to be with someone. I grew up in a culture where you, you always wanted to have someone there, and that's part of your identity. It's like, oh, I have a girlfriend, and that's how you look right to the world. And so when God was touching this area of my life, oh, it was like really challenging to not be with someone. Because so, you go to a family reunion, go home for Christmas break, it's like, so Eric, you have a girlfriend? No, uh, I don't. And then it's, I feel like it's a devaluation of me. It's sort of like, there must be something wrong with you then, Eric. It was like really difficult. And so this was a desire that I had to say, God, I trust it to you. The desire to be with someone isn't bad. It's actually built in. But it needs to first be fulfilled with Jesus. And if you skip over Jesus to have it fulfilled with an earthly love story, you actually are missing the whole point of Christianity. But if you allow Jesus to fill that need for having someone, that someone at your side with something else, but if it's filled with Jesus, it solves the riddle, and then when someone else comes into your life, it's beautiful because it's not displacing, it's complementing. It's an extension. My thought life, I I mean, how much can go on in your thought life you don't realize until God starts touching it? Like, what are you thinking about there, Eric? Well, um, uh, That's a good point. Uh, In other words, he wanted that area of my life. And it's interesting because I teach a lot on thought life right now. It all started back when I was single and God's like touching it saying, Eric, let's make this beautiful. Let's make this work. Because the way you're working in your thought life is gonna come out in your actions. So I need to govern this. I need to have rulership over your thoughts. My future, well, I don't know if anyone's ever had their future touched by the Holy Spirit but I was gonna be a doctor. I mean, I had it mapped out. It was a good career, and you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to do it for Jesus, once I became a Christian. Then I, was, I immediately said, I'll do the doctor thing for you. I could go into other countries and like be a missionary doctor. I mean, I had all these great thoughts. I mean, they're good thoughts, aren't they? It's like going into Bithynia. There's nothing wrong with Bithynia, and he prohibited me from going into Bithynia. It's like, God, he wanted my future. He had a Macedonia for me instead of a Bithynia. How do I know that? How will I ever know not to go to Bithynia and to go to Macedonia instead? That's where when he touches something, you give it to him and say, God, I want you to lead. Paul was led of the Holy Spirit. As a result, he knew when the Holy Spirit was prohibiting. Some of us haven't been sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and as a result, that's where one of the things I think God is desiring to do is just say, hey, God cares, God leads. Listen, allow, allow him to touch. My right to be married it's one thing to give up having someone with you, but then you could still say, but God, I demand that I one day get married and this area of my life be solved, okay, right? God, we're on the same page here, aren't we? God, why are you silent when I say that? God, what are you inferring that you want this to? Oh, boy, this is a tough one. I, you know, some people don't even want to be married. I did. I wanted to be married. Is it bad, God? No, God created marriage. It's a wonderful thing. But as long as I held on to it instead of let him have it, it can't be made beautiful. God has to have these things. My career, there's there's all sorts of different things you could do with your life, things that make you look good, things that make you a lot of money and give you comfort, things that sort of set the right pattern for the life you want. And God says, could you want the life I want for you instead of the life you want for yourself? Would you give me your career? Ouch. My ability to choose. I mean, these are very granular dimensions to my life. But even, I mean, just think about this. I had this, this group ask me, uh, you know, because I said I was uh, waiting for my future spouse. Have you ever read When God Is Your Love Story? It's, uh, it's the babes and the big egos. It's right in the very beginning of the book uh, where we're at camp counselors and everyone's going around sharing the photos of their girlfriend or boyfriend. And I'm f- miserably incomplete because I'm waiting on God. And so this guy across from me, whose dad was a state senator, sticks his bony finger across and goes, I totally disagree with you. I think God wants us to go out, find who we want, and then he blesses it. This is what he said to me. And so I was in front of everyone, and was like, yeah, yeah, amen, amen. So I said, well, here's where I've landed on that. If God stood 10 girls in front of me, and he said, Eric, you pick. I would fall down on my face and say, God, you know me better than I know myself. You pick. Even if he gives me the choice, I'm giving it back to him. Well, that's a game changer. Why? Because this is what he was doing in my life. It's the right to choose. See, it's something that I could hold on to and say, it's my choice, it's my life. Or I could say it's God's choice because it's his life. Actually, God, I want you to lead my life and even if you were to stand him in front of me and say, Eric, here's your choices. God, I want your choice. I trust you, I trust you. No, I didn't start that way. <laughs> it, was a, it was a growth process, but that's what he was doing inside of me. Magic moments, so I'm, I'm just bringing out some magic moments because when I say this, you don't often sometimes see the, how beautiful it becomes as a result. But the decision to move forward, I gave the decision to move forward in my relationship with Leslie. I'm not going into the whole love story with Leslie. I'm just you know, doing some very quick overview here. But when I knew it was Leslie, I actually entrusted the decision to move forward, not just to the Holy Spirit, but to her parents that, she would, that they would know when she would be ready to move forward. Why would I do that? There's no American relationship model for that. This was something God was doing inside of me. It's the weakening of Eric to say, I can trust God's Holy Spirit and his pattern for how he does this. And as a result, the story is so utterly beautiful of what took place. See if I could, if I go into depth of stories, we'll be here all morning. But I knew the timing. It was like I had this sense that it was the right timing. Like I was driving back from Colorado to Michigan where I was living and I was crying on the way. Just I was like, I'm so it is so difficult for me to say goodbye to Leslie now. It's like this is becoming excruciatingly painful. It's like I'm supposed to be with this girl, but I'm headed to Michigan once again. And I get to Michigan. I'm sleeping that, that night. I wake up early in the morning. It's in the fours. And I just had this bubbling excitement. I just knew that God was doing something. And so I, told, I yelled at my sister, who was, was like, Chrissy, Chrissy. She comes up, like, what, what? This is early. It's in the fours. She's like, what? Just excited. And she goes, okay. And she goes back into her room. And then uh, I had dry skin during the, the winter in Michigan. And so I, my, my lotion was out in my front coat pocket. I went out to the front uh, room. I was sort of doing a jig. And I reached in my coat pocket and there's an envelope in there. Like, what in the world? And I came back to the, the bathroom. And I was thinking, it was one of the kids I was teaching maybe drawn me a coloring book page. And so I open it up and it's a wad of green cash. It's this massive wad of $100 bills. I set it down on the counter. I look in the mirror, and I go, Chrissy! <laughs> she comes in, and she's like, what? I go, Ha! Ah, 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 So she's, I'm seeing her in the mirror. And so she starts picking up, she starts counting. We'd been praying every day, the two of us, that God would supernaturally supply the money for a ring so I could buy a ring for Leslie because my salary wasn't quite <laughs> befitting a ring. Uh, <clears throat> and so she's like, what do you think it's for? I have no idea. All I was thinking is what the 10% tithe would be. Yeah. And she says, wait a minute, there's a piece of paper wrapped around it. It was a piece of paper. And on the paper, it says, he is Jehovah Jireh. And it had a picture of a ring on it. I don't even know who ever gave that to me. And I mean, this is like magic moments, guys. I call up Leslie's parents after, at a, that day. It wasn't it four. And, and I, I said, I just want to lay before you the fact that You know, this happened, and I'm just wanting to know where you guys are at. And they go, Well, let us pray about it. And they got off the phone. I'd say 10 seconds later, they call back. They say, We just looked at each other, we hung up. We both know it's the right time. And the the magic of it—I don't know how uh, better to say it—the beauty of what God did in His timing, as I relinquished this and allowed Him to orchestrate the story, instead of me getting a job that would make any sense that I could you know earn money for this. It's like I'm doing exactly what He asked me to do. I'm supposed to go to Michigan. I'm supposed to do this missions work. I'm supposed to. And it's like the vulnerability of every turn. It's like God, I'm going to need you to come through. Well, guess what? He did. The words "I love you." I didn't say the words "I love you" to Leslie and because basically it comes back to a statement from my mom. Never tell a girl you love her unless you plan on proposing to her in the next breath. Great. Now I had that word, you know, the, my mom in my head the entire while, so I'm like, I, no, no, nope, nope, I can't say it. And so with Leslie, it was really humorous, which I'll go into in the next slide, but, uh, you know, when I actually shared those words was when I was proposing to her. It was a poem that I had written, and the very last line of the poem was, I love you. My girl, Leslie, will you marry me? And so it's like for the first time, I literally said, I love you for the first time and then asked her to marry me in the next line. And I tell you what, the preciousness and the beauty of the timing and the choreography, that night, uh, the proposal night, ask me sometime in the semester. I don't have time today to go through it, but it is so magical, so amazing. I remember actually asking God, to stop the blessing because I couldn't handle it. Have you ever asked God to stop blessing you because you couldn't handle it? I, and I s- since thought, it's like, God, could you keep that going? But maybe now in my life, you know, it's like a little overflow now. The first kiss. So we'd kissed other people. Individually, we'd kissed other people. and then, But we wanted to have this kiss be valuable. And we knew that anytime you wait for something, it increases the beauty, the magic, the wonder of it. So we decided to keep our kiss, not because the Bible said, thou shalt not kiss till your wedding day, but we wanted the beauty of a kiss to be reignited. Whoo! The, the only problem with it was what the pastor said when he said, you may now kiss the bride. You know what he said? He, you may now k- kiss the bride. I was thinking, wait a minute, buddy, I've been waiting a long time for this. Get your words accurate. It was still amazing and magical. But yeah, about all the words to stumble over. Come on, buddy the awkward moments. When you live this way, there are some awkward moments I need to forewarn you about, okay? Uh, I had the cold shoulder. Uh, The cold shoulder is not really a cold shoulder, but I'm a huggy guy. My family is very huggy, okay? And this is in the days before uh, 2001, I think it was, uh, 9-11, 2001, when the Twin Towers fell, the terrorist attack. You used to be able to go to the gate and see people get off the plane and greet them. And so Leslie's family's there, my family's there. We have an understanding. We're like not in... Gauged, but we have this like relational thing going. And once we had a relationship, this understanding, I didn't know what to do because she's going to be my wife and I want to handle this right in every regard. And I had no map for it, no book for it. And so I came off the plane, hugged everyone, and then stood there and bounced on my toes next to Leslie. It was awkward, okay? Everyone was feeling it, but I didn't know what to do. Can I hug her? I I don't know. And so this led to the stick incident. So uh, we're hiking... We're hiking on a mountain, and I've been trained well that if a girl ever is like in need of help, like she's you know, needing help out of something, or you, know, you, you reach out your hand and you help. But I didn't know what to do with Leslie, and so she needed help down off a rock, and I was down there. <laughs> I picked up a stick and held it out to her. I did that. Because I so wanted this to be done right, that I did some things wrong, okay? Uh, Now, we laugh at it. It didn't actually destroy our marriage. It actually made it more humorous and beautiful, if you want to, because she knew that I was willing to look the fool to protect the purity of what we were doing. And then when I was trying to save the words, I love you, you know how hard that is? When you love someone as much as I did? And I'm like, great, I have to save these words? And it was my own restraint. It wasn't like God said, do not say the words I love you until you, you know, propose. That was my mom, okay? But I still looked at it as like, okay, that's what I want to do. I wanted to aim after a higher ideal. So this is me sitting on the couch next to her. It's like, I really, really, really like you. (laughs) Awkward, okay? That's just like, okay, that's not quite what I envisioned for our love story. But it was precious at the same time because she knew what I was doing. She knew I was restraining to make something even more beautiful. It's always worth the wait. This one statement I could say throughout my entire life. It is always worth the wait. He does make things beautiful in his time. The principle of sacred waiting. It amplifies appreciation. and increases beauty in everything entrusted to its care. Whatever you give to the Holy Spirit, he makes more beautiful than it would be in your care. So, there is actually no sane, rational reason to hold on to it yourself. Even though the Devil in your own flesh will argue a storm to try and keep control over things. When you give something to God, you'll never regret it, ever. There is nothing ever given to God that you would regret. So he amplifies its beauty. He amplifies the appreciation of it. So I combine two scriptures. This is like a great combo package for scriptures right here. So we have Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 18. His work is perfect. His ways are perfect. I mean, right there. Could you imagine? Uh, we can't argue. He knows what he's doing, guys. And so if you would entrust him with your life, this is a fact. Build upon it. Father, I just ask that you would lead, guide, and direct our lives. That we would understand the significance of the Holy Spirit coming in and ruling and reigning in our life. And Lord, may we allow you to touch these different areas of our life that we have been gripping, that you desire to grip. Lord, we trust you, and we love you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.